week is behind us. Oklahoma returns to the football field Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff against UFC. What's up, everybody? This is Matt Hofeld with the Sooner Nation podcast. According to ESPN's matchup predictor, Oklahoma has a 94.1% chance of taking down the three and three nights of UFC. Uh, you know, Central Florida comes in Norman 0-3 in conference play, um, trying to make that adjustment into the Big 12, has not gone swimmingly for them. Meanwhile, the Sooners, number six in the nation, 6-0 and on the season, 3-0 and uh, in Big 12 play. Coming off of a bye week that was uh, preceded by the big win in the Red River rivalry. Here's four things just off the top of, of the podcast here that we want to look at uh, in terms of this game. And, and four things really to watch for against UFC. Now, we got much more, uh, much more to break this game down, but I think we need to start by, by looking at these four specific topics. Um, and, and and I think this is going to be a fun game. I don't know that it's going to be the 70 to 14 thrashing that a lot of Oklahoma fans really want um, after flexing your muscle in Dallas two weeks ago. But I think it can be a comfortable win for Oklahoma, but yet at the same time, a little bit of a challenge and, and a little bit of um, fun in the mix of the game. And I think it starts by comparing these two running games, or the two rushing attacks. UFC actually comes into this game with the third best running game, running attack, whatever you want to say, in the nation. The Knights are averaging 246.3 yards per game on the ground, and they've scored 14 rushing touchdowns on the season. Now, that's more than they've thrown for with 12 uh, touchdowns coming through the air. And and when you look at the, the losing streak in conference play, they've lost three in a row. Uh, they're still averaging 193 yards per game uh, on the ground and 5.4 yards per carry during that three-game stretch of Big 12 losses. And you compare that to an Oklahoma defense that's limiting opponents to just 3.29 yards per carry, 113.7 rushing yards per game on the ground. Oklahoma ranks number 28th nationally in limiting opponents on the ground, and they've only allowed one rushing touchdown this season. So you're and, and that came against Texas, by the way. You, you probably already knew that. But you're looking at an offense that thrives on running the football and a defense that really has thrived at at limiting what their opponents can do on the ground uh, in as much in six games they've only allowed one rushing touchdowns. Now you flip sides of the field, and you've got a, a different story. Uh, you've got, uh, you got UFC 246.3 yards per game on the ground, against an Oklahoma offense that's only averaging a little bit under 165, 164.8 yards per game on the ground. And the Sooners averaging four point, just four yards a carry, a 4.08, but four yards per carry. Now they've equaled UFC's 14 rushing touchdowns on the season, but what Oklahoma has as its advantage here is 18 passing touchdowns. You've got a You've got an offense that's not just balanced, but you've got an offense that can – score balanced um, and, and score more regularly than what UFC is going to come at them with. And and then you look at, finally, the, the final component of this, of this topic, I guess, 
and that's going to be the UFC defense, where you've got an advantage if you're the if you're the Knights, you've got an advantage with what you've done through six games on the ground, as opposed to what your opponent has done through six game, games on the ground. But you got a massive disadvantage if you're UFC and what your defense is allowing opponents to do. The Knights are allowing 197.2 yards per game, almost five yards per carry, 4.95 on the ground. And they've allowed 15 rushing touchdowns through 2023. When you look at the defensive stats for UFC, what you're finding is that opponents are attacking this team on the ground. On average, 197.3 is what they're giving up on the ground. 189.8 is what they're giving up through the air. Opponents are going to the ground more frequently against this UCF team than they are going at them through the air. I don't think it's because they're great through the air defensively, though. I think it's because um, they're so susceptible to what opponents can do on the ground. If you look at the Kansas game, uh, they lost that game 51-22. to uh, Kansas passed for 169 yards, ran for 202. And so that's just the latest example of how teams are choosing to attack this UCF defense. So I think that's the first thing you got to look at. I think the second thing you want to look at is what Oklahoma's continuing to build defensively, um, particularly with the red zone defense. Now, there were doubters, and there—I mean, there honestly, there still are doubters, and there's probably always going to be those guys out there who try to explain away success from a team that they've tried to, um, you know, look. You, you look at here's a good example. You look at all the people that picked. Oklahoma to lose to Texas. Now they're not coming back and saying, well, we were wrong. They're coming back and saying, well, we weren't right. We weren't wrong in our assessment about Oklahoma. It's just that Texas didn't play to the capabilities that we thought that they could. You know, how many times have you seen it out there that, um, and not just from homers that, that wear the burnt orange, but I'm talking about from other media outlets are just saying, yeah, you know, Texas. Texas played their C game against Oklahoma's A game. And and it just it spews ignorance because if you saw that Oklahoma game, there's no way you would call that an A game. There's no way you can have a punt blocked and return for a touchdown and say, yeah, they played their A game. No, no, it's not, it's not happening. But one thing that did kind of silence some of the doubters in this with this Oklahoma defense was what they did on that goal line stand when they shut down Texas four shots into the end zone. Um, and don't don't let a three and three record fool you in terms of what Central Florida's coming in here to do offensively. They rank fourth nationally in total offense. They're uh, five hundred and sixteen point seven yards per game. So this is a team that can move the football, but they're also twenty eighth in touchdowns scored. So you got a top four offense. Top 28 scoring team, meaning at some point in here, there's a disconnect and in, in, in capping off those drives with getting into the end zone. 26 total touchdowns for UCF through six games. Now you've got an Oklahoma defense that overall total defense, they're number 52 nationally. 352.8 yards per game is what they're allowing um, through the first six games. Now, they flex again in the red zone against Texas, and the reality is they're top three nationally once their opponents get inside the 20-yard line. And so, again, when you look at the trends, 
You've got a, you've got a, an offense that scores points. Excuse me. You've got an offense that moves the ball but struggles at times to score points going up against a defense that allows yards but doesn't necessarily allow points. They've only given up seven touchdowns through the first six games. And that's a telltale sign of, I mean, it's that bend but don't break mentality. Yeah, maybe you're giving up 516 yards per game. Uh, maybe you're, you're cranking out 516 yards per game. But if you're not scoring very frequently, that 516 yards doesn't really matter. That same concept moves over to the defensive side of the ball. You're allowing your opponents 350 yards per game, which isn't bad, by the way. In today's era of offensive football, that's not bad. But, I mean, you get 350-plus yards per game, but if you've only allowed seven touchdowns on the season, that's just over one touchdown per game, and you've played six games, you've given up seven touchdowns. Again, those yards don't matter if your opponent's not getting into the end zone. And that's what needs to continue to happen on Saturday. That needs to be a theme for this thing, for this game on Saturday. Here's here's a big thing as about um, something that's been talked about heavily during the bye week is will there be a post Red River rivalry hangover? Now that's a little bit more difficult to say than what it should be. But you know, Bob Stoops was on uh, one of the local radio stations this last week and, and said, you know, look. That win in Dallas was was monumental for what this team wants to accomplish this season. And then he, he said that he doesn't think that this team will have any type of hangover, any type of lax. He said, to quote, you know, you're required to beat everybody, and the only way you beat everybody is to be ready to play every week. There has been nothing that we've seen from Brent Venables this point of his tenure at Oklahoma to make you think that this team won't be focused. I, I agree with Bob Stoops. I mean, I, I think I think standing in agreement with Bob Stoops is probably a smart thing to do um, in many aspects of life. But in this particular instance, I agree with him as well. But that said, we should still at least mention the fact that there's a possibility that this team could come out flat. This is, uh, and they've, they've been vocal about it. This has been a, a season of redemption for Oklahoma, and there really isn't a lot of motivation against UCF. There's nothing to redeem against these guys. They didn't beat you. They weren't even in the conference when you had your worst year in decades in 2022. So instead of focusing that angst against UCF, I think Oklahoma is going to be looking to send that statement to the voters and other members of the media who've kind of remained vocal about doubting this team, about not buying in on an Oklahoma team that's the only undefeated team in the Big 12. And if you come out in this game and you start flat or um, you lose interest midway through the third quarter, the only thing it's going to do is further advance that cause of those talking heads. And I think the fourth thing that you want to talk about or watch for in this game on Saturday is going to be which version of Oklahoma special teams are we going to get? I mean, look, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride when special teams take the field for Oklahoma. We've gone through punt returns for touchdowns. We've gone through blocked punts uh, leading to touchdowns or leading to safeties. And then on the flip side, we've gone through missed field goals. We've gone through fumbled kickoffs. We've gone through our own punts getting blocked and leading to scores. 
It's been a roller coaster. And, and right now, they're kind of on a downswing after the Texas game. You had the block punt against Texas. You had the missed field goals against Texas. Something's got to come through here and swing them back up. And, and I, I think this is going to be an intentional set, an intentional design for Oklahoma special teams to get something going. They're going to come after a punt. They're going to set up something on a, on a kickoff return because special teams are so so huge in swinging momentum in a game that you don't want to ride a down wave with that unit on the field. And when you're coming off a game where you missed it, not just a field goal, you missed a crucial field goal and you had a punt blocked, you got you to gotta do something for that unit to swing it, to tick it back up. So those are the four things I think immediately come to mind for me when, when looking at this game against Central Florida on Saturday. Um, the two running games, what that's going to look like. I think there's going to be a lot of yards on the ground uh, between these two teams. What can Oklahoma continue to do with the red zone defense? Uh, are they going to look flat? Is there going to be any type of hangover following the Red River rivalry? And by the way, that bye week probably came at the most opportune time following the Texas game because it does give you time to kind of digest that victory, to focus on it, to celebrate it more than you could had it just been lining up the next Saturday to play somebody else. So that's probably a good, perfect timing for the bye week. And then the last thing is, what version of the special teams are we going to get? Hey, let's talk about uh, some of the players to watch as well. Huge news coming in for you, UCF this week with um, quarterback John Race Plumley um, being reinserted as the starting quarterback for the Knights. Yeah, a big deal for their offense because he's the guy that clearly um, they think makes everything click. But it's not like it's not like this offense was was stumbling its way through the Big 12. The, the problem has been their defense. And so when you when you're looking at Oklahoma when you look at it from an Oklahoma fan's perspective, your first thought is, oh yeah, great. So this team that struggled through the first three games or their Big 12 conference experience is finally getting the guy back that makes everything work for them. Well the truth is he doesn't. And and again we, we just spent some time in that first segment talking about how UCF's offense can move the ball, how they can run the ball, and, and the things that they can do. And, and when you look at Plumlee's stats, okay, here's a, here's a guy who's completing 67% of his passes on the season, but he's, he's got three touchdowns and four interceptions. And even at that, yeah, he's been injured. I get that, okay? I get that. But at Ole Miss, 52.7% completion rate. Three games, um, three games. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just saying. He, it's not like, it's not like it's it's one of those end of the world type things. Will UFC function better offensively? Well, maybe, more than likely. But is that going to help them defensively? This is a, a a program that's got the Big Twelve worst, forty three point seven points per game allowed they're they're giving up 490 yards per game the only team that's worse defensively in yards per game this season in the big 12 is houston opponents are averaging 6.6 yards per play against against this ucf defense and they scored 15 touchdowns 
And that's that's puts them at or near the bottom in the entire Big 12 defensively. So yeah, congratulations. You're getting your starting quarterback back in the game. Now, he played a little bit against Kansas, but ultimately was pulled because, I mean, you can see the pain. So he's going to give it a go against Oklahoma, but he doesn't play defense, right? So I, I think when you look at key players in this game, yeah, for sure. Plumlee being back a quarterback, not a bad call. But there's other issues that uh, that he's not going to help with. The Harvey kid running back, uh, 5.7 yards per carry, six rushing touchdowns. And then there's Johnny Richardson, uh, 8.3 yards per carry. Um, and he's got one touchdown on the season. This team can run the football. And so I think Oklahoma's linebackers, really Oklahoma's front seven, comes in here and and they're on the spotlight this week. Because even through injury, Plumlee's the number three uh, leading rusher on this team. 8.6 yards per carry for Plumlee. He has one rushing touchdown on the season. Now, he's only he's only ran 19 times. But again, he's he's been gone for the better part of three games. But Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's defensive front is going to have to deal with a mobile quarterback um, much in the same way that they did with Emory Jones in Cincinnati. You're going to have to limit downfield options, make him make quick decisions, and keep him in the pocket and funnel everything up the middle. That's that's the tried and true method. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard me say that over and over and over again against mobile quarterbacks. That's what you have to do. So it puts guys like, um, you know, your defensive ends, you know, whichever guy out there, Ethan Downs or Trace Ford or somebody else. It's it's not like what they could do. Why, why did Ethan Downs have his best game of the season against Texas? Because he could crash. He doesn't have to work on containment. Well, this is a week where he's got to work on containment. He's got to keep Plumley between the tackles. He's got to keep him in the pocket. So it's going to be really, really difficult for him to crash. Think about, uh, again, going back to Texas. Here's what happens when you crash. Think about Dylan Gabriel and that final drive against Texas. The defensive end, Anthony Hill, comes from the bottom of the play and he crashes down and he misses Dylan Gabriel, who steps up in the pocket. Now he's got options. He can run, which he almost does, until he sees Drake Stoops. Completes the first first down of that drive that ultimately led to the game-winning touchdown to Nick Anderson. That's what happens when your defensive end crashes instead of keeping containment on a mobile quarterback. And Oklahoma has to avoid that. So it's going to put guys like Danny Stutzman back in the spotlight. And Danny Stutzman's an okay guy to be in the spotlight, right? I mean, you want, I enjoy, all of Sooner Nation should enjoy Danny Stutzman being in the spotlight. But he's definitely going to be there. I think what you have to figure out with your secondary as well, you know, that cheetah position is going to be huge. Um, and and really, it's, Deson McCullough, this could be a, a – he had a great game against Texas. 
And really since stepping in full-time since Justin Harrington went down, he's been anything but a disappointment. And so I think he's a guy that you might expect to hear his name called a lot on Saturday. And then you got your you got your cornerbacks who are going to be on islands as well at times. Uh, Kobe Hudson, 22 catches on the season, 473 yards, two touchdowns for the Knights, averaging 21.5 yards per reception. Javon Baker, 21 receptions on the season, averaging 19.9 yards per reception, two touchdowns on the season. And then you got guys like Harvey who can catch it out of the backfield. He's got two receiving touchdowns on the season. You have four guys on this squad that are averaging double figures and have scored multiple touchdowns. And then you got a tight end who pretty much is doing the same thing, but he's only got nine receptions on the season. But Alec Hollier, 10.4 yards per reception, two touchdowns. That's five guys with multiple receiving touchdowns. So I think that it starts again with Oklahoma's front seven on the defense. And so a guy like Isaiah Coe eating up block blockers in the middle, guys like Ethan Downs containing Plumley on the outside, and then guys like Danny Stutzman coming right up the middle and cleaning plays up. But that is all made even more difficult because of the running game. Because you've got a guy like Harvey averaging 5.7 yards per carry because you've got Johnny Richardson averaging 8.3 yards per carry. You can't just come in there, you know, you, you, and and again, that's what makes, I think the most pressure in this game is going to be on the defensive secondary. I think the key to winning is going to be what the front seven does, but the most pressure is going to be on the back end and whether they continue to trust the guys up front, the guys in front of them. And there's been nothing to this point of the season to make you think that that trust has done anything but grow. But it's not going to be a cakewalk for Oklahoma's defense on Saturday. Not at all. Now, on the flip side of the ball, I think, I absolutely think, this is going to be a type of game where Oklahoma's offense is going to thrive. I, I think... By the way, I, I didn't mention Gentry Williams on the defensive side of the ball, but the dude has three interceptions and is making plays. So keep an eye on him as well. But all right, back to Oklahoma's offense. Um, I think they, they thrive. And there's been a lot of a lot of people talking about Dylan Gabriel against his old team, and and I get that. I don't but what I don't get, I don't get the sense that Dylan Gabriel has any angst against, I think that's twice I've used that word on this podcast, but I don't think he has any ill will towards UCF. I, I don't think Dylan Gabriel's out there to prove himself against this night's off on this night's defense and particularly the, the, the coaching staff. And I, there's no chip on his shoulder when facing this team. And if anything, it's more on, on, a, on a very, very micro level it's more like Oklahoma fans and Caleb Williams. I mean, all, all the all the ill will, if there was any, all the frustration, all the betrayal, that, that lays on the U, UCF side. Because if Dylan Gabriel's on that side of the foot, field, they're probably not 3-3 three and three on the season. 4-2, and 5-1 and one is more likely. So if anybody has ill will 
in, in regards to Dylan Gabriel. I, th- I think it's UCF, but Gabriel's been spectacular. 72.3 completion percentage, 1,800-plus passing yards, 16 touchdowns to just two interceptions, and that's just what he's done with his arm. When you, when you add his rushing stats in here, you see you know he was leading rusher against Texas. He's got five rushing touchdowns on the season. He's averaging 4.8 yards per carry, over 200 yards on the ground. Everyone's looking at Dylan Gabriel now. That drive against Texas put Dylan Gabriel on the Heisman map on a national level. On a regional level, certainly on a local level, everyone's talking about, look, if everything goes according to plan – and this turnaround really takes place in 2023, Dylan Gabriel could be a Heisman candidate. After that drive against Texas, he's no longer just a Heisman candidate. He's in position to be a Heisman Trophy frontrunner because you got guys like Caleb Williams just failing on a national stage with the three interceptions last week against Notre Dame. I think right now, honestly, I think it's a toss-up. If you had to vote right now through six games on the Heisman Trophy winner, it's either the kid, the, you know, Michael Penix Jr. out of out of Washington, or it's Dylan Gabriel. And for those reasons, that's going to be the motivation for Dylan Gabriel on Saturday more than anything having to do with who UCF is and who he used to be for them. So, that Dylan Gabriel is absolutely in the spotlight this week. And, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. I can't believe I'm going to go here. But I think Gavin Solchuk steps in the spotlight this week. This is a guy, I, don't, I am not alone in thinking that Gavin Solchuk should be a, a, a more key role in this offense than what he has been. And I get it. It's an injury. It's injury related. It's nothing that the coach is like, well, we just don't trust him. We can't put him in there. Blah, blah, blah. It's injury related. I get it. But he was used against Texas. Marcus Major seemed to be injured against Texas. Tawi Walker continues to be that guy. 4.5 yards per carry on the season. Four touchdowns. Yeah, he leads all running back. He's the only running back with multiple touchdowns. That's crazy. Marcus Major, one touchdown. Javante Barnes, one touchdown. Gavin Solchuk, one touchdown. Tawi Walker, four touchdowns. 53 carries. Marcus Major actually has more carries than Tawi Walker, but Walker has more yards and a higher average. He's been the most effective back that the Sooners have. But I think everybody, including the guys in that running back room, want that to be Gavin Salchuk and not Walker. Not because Walker has failed. Not because Walker's not worthy. He just continues to be that that blue-collar guy who does what he's asked to do week in and week out. Huge block. Huge block. Pick up on the the block on that touchdown pass to Nick Anderson against Texas. You got to credit Tolly Walker for helping that touchdown happen. But all that said, you, you see the upside of Gavin Salchuk. You see the potential there of what he could be, what he should be, if he's healthy. And now he's had a week off. It'll be 14 days from the time he stepped off of the field of the Cotton Bowl to when he steps on the field at Oklahoma Memorial Stadium on Saturday morning. I would expect Gavin Salchuk 
to have a season high in carries on Saturday. That's what I expect. Am I going to get that? I don't know. I can't believe I'm still investing time (laughs) into this running back situation because all I ever do is say, I give up. I can't figure it out. But here I am. You know, it's interesting. We we I did mention that Nick Anderson touchdown, um, which is going to be one of the more iconic plays in the folklore of the Red River rivalry. But, um, you know, that, he's got six touchdowns, receiving touchdowns on the season. He leads this receiving core that just lost Andrew Anthony. And, and look, the, the guy who just peeks at the, at the stats is going to say, well, Angel Anthony only averaged 15.9 yards per reception. And, you know, you got Jaden Gibson, 26, uh, and Nick Anderson, 25, and Jaleel Fruit 20. I get that. But the reason why Angel Anthony only averaged 15.9 yards per reception is because he was beating guys so frequently that they would just rather take the flag than let him catch the pass. Oklahoma has to find a way. Oklahoma has to find a way to replace him. And you've got options. I mean, Jaden Gibson as the prototypical body receiver. Nick Anderson is producing. Dude, he's got 11 catches for six touchdowns. 11 catches, six touchdowns. Over 50% of his catches are scores. But I, I think... I think Jalil Farouk is going to have to transition from being that guy that benefited from what Andrew Anthony was doing on the field to becoming that guy who benefits others by what he does. Jalil Farouk's going to have to step out of the shadow and become the spotlight guy so guys like Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson can, you know, so they can eat, so to speak. Brennan Thompson, we've only seen him once this season. Two catches, 62 yards. That's a pretty dang good average. Is he healthy enough to be the guy who can stretch the field and make defenders know where he is at all times and try to cover him up with the safety? There, there's got to be options there to replace Andrew Anthony, and there are options. But the question is, who steps in to be that guy who, who lets others thrive and move in his shadow? I think it's Jalil Farouk. So there you have it, offensively and defensively, some players to watch in, in this game for Oklahoma and UCF. I got a score prediction and a couple closing thoughts, maybe some um, some game predictions as well. All right, so legitimate question here to open up this uh, final segment of the Sooner Nation podcast. Um, who's the third best team in the Big 12? I mean, if you think about it, the way the standings are right now, Oklahoma clearly... The best team in the Big 12. 6-0 on the season, 3-0 in conference play. The only undefeated team that the conference has to offer thanks to last or two weeks ago with the Red River rivalry. Now, according to the standings, Iowa State is your second place team in the Big 12 at 3-1. And then Oklahoma State and Texas are at 2-1, Kansas State 2-1, West Virginia 2-1. I think of that lot, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas State, and West Virginia – I'm taking Texas as the second-place team in the Big 12, and I don't think I have to argue very hard to make that pick. 
But who's the third best team? Could it be Oklahoma State? Could it be Iowa State? Kansas State? I think West Virginia is probably the one that you look in that group and you think, eh, we were believing in, in you until last Saturday. That loss to Houston is just mind-blowing. And I, I think that's what's going to resound in people's heads when they, they try to logically think through this. So I think easily West Virginia is the, the one out. But then also Kansas State, they, they lost to Oklahoma State. I, I don't think you can make an argument that they're better than the Cowboys because they lost. I mean, think about all the all the grief we're giving people for insinuating that despite losing to Oklahoma, Texas is still somehow superior to Oklahoma. That same concept applies to Oklahoma State and Kansas State. So I think I think because of that, you got to put the Wildcats on the outside. So then it comes down between Iowa State and Oklahoma State as who is the third best team in the Big Twelve. And the reason I think that's really interesting to me is because these are two teams that, I mean, about a month ago, we kind of had them left for dead, did we not? That South Alabama loss for Oklahoma State, oh, these guys are done. Iowa State with the whole gambling saga and losing players and not knowing who's eligible and having to find a new running back and a new quarterback, all that as the season's starting, all these guys are done. So now you you beg the question, are these, are these two teams exceeding expectations on such a high level? I mean, is it such an exponential result that we're just blown away we can't figure it out or is the Big 12 a dumpster fire and there really are no good teams UCF and Cincinnati are your two winless teams in conference welcome to the Big 12 boys Houston picks up its first win BYU has a win But you've got five teams in the Big 12 with just one win or no wins in conference play. You've only got two ranked teams in the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas, and they're both top 10, which kind of carries the banner. But that's what these two teams have done for decades is carry the banner. So it's like you have two top 10 teams and then just a bowl full of garbage after that. So the question is, who is the third best team in the Big 12? But then I think the sub-question to that is going to be, does it really matter? Can any of these teams challenge Oklahoma and Texas at this point? And if I feel like each week it looks less and less likely that the answer to that question is going to be yes. So that just curious what your thoughts. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Love to know kind of what you're thinking on that. Um Let's break down one more thing on the Oklahoma Cincinnati, Oklahoma Cincinnati, Oklahoma UCF game, and I'm gonna give you five predictions, and then I'll give you what I think the score is going to be. 
All right, here we go. Five predictions in no particular order here with Oklahoma and UCF. 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday, um, Central Time, ABC broadcast. Um, here's five things that I think are going to happen in this game. Um, and again, I'd love to know your take on it, whether you agree, whether you disagree. If you got something that you want to say, this is my prediction for the game. Um, it can't be like Oklahoma wins. That's my prediction. Now, that's got to be like more detailed. For, for example, the first thing I got happening here. I got Dylan Gabriel accounting for over 400 yards of total offense. And I, I think, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Uh, you're like, wow, Matt, you're really, uh, you're really swinging for the fences on that one. But here's the thing. I mean, when you look at the potential that this game has, the potential that this game has, it is likely there's a high probability that Dylan Gabriel doesn't play a complete game that we get some Jackson Arnold time in here uh, into the fourth quarter, and so therefore he's not in the game for its total. But I think between passing and running, and I don't think this is the game where they want him to run a lot, but I do think between passing and running the football, Dylan Gabriel is going to account for 400 yards, and, and he needs to because of what we said earlier um, about the Heisman Trophy race. It is on. I mean, we're, we're, we're middle of October now. This is, this is crunch time for that Heisman Trophy race. So you every weekend, I mean, he's got his moment. You, you, every Heisman Trophy winner has that moment. I, like, yeah, you had good stats, you had good numbers, but what was your moment, right? So he got that. He got that in the biggest game of the week last week uh, in the Cotton Bowl. But now he's got to continue to get those stats and that efficiency. 400-plus yards for Dylan Gabriel. That's that's prediction number one. Prediction number two is not a positive prediction, but I think Oklahoma's defense gives up a rushing, a rushing touchdown. They've only done that once this season. It came against Texas in the sixth game of the season. I think in the seventh game of the season, we see them allow a rushing touchdown again, back-to-back games. And I, I'm not, I'm not uh, being a downer on Oklahoma's defense by any stretch. But I, I think the odds are, when you look at how this offense works for UCF, I, I think they're, they're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball for, for multiple reasons. They're going to run the ball because it's their best way to, to move it. They're going to run the ball because it keeps that clock grinding down. They're going to run the ball because that's what they're good at, and they want to protect their quarterback because they've seen what happens when he goes down. I don't think Oklahoma shuts them out by any stretch of the imagination. I think, um, I think UCF scores, and I think they score multiple times. Now, Texas, Texas scored 30 on Oklahoma. That was the most Oklahoma's given up this season. Iowa State scored 20, which is the second most. I'm not going to give away my prediction just yet, but I, I think I think UCF is right in the middle of those two. But the bottom line is I think Oklahoma's defense is going to give up a rushing touchdown on Saturday, which would only be the second time this season that it happens. Assuming they only give up one, you know. I don't, I don't want to turn into an onslaught of rushing touchdowns, but I just I, I think this is a weekend where where we see it happen and 
I don't think there's going to be. I don't think there's going to be any shame in that either. All right. So number three, um, number three, I'm shooting for the moon here for sure. I think Gavin Sodchuk rushes for a hundred yards. In, in fact, I think Gavin Sodchuk may have his season best in terms of yards per carry, rushing yards, and touches. But I also think he potentially has a career game on Saturday against UCF. And again, I've already said it. I just I can't believe I'm still this much invested in Oklahoma's running back situation. When you got a team that's six and zero, ranked in the just barely outside the top five, which is a little bit of a farce. They should be in the top five. And I'm nitpicking running backs, and because it's it's totally working with Tyway Walker. But I just there's just so much there for Gavin Salchuk that you just gotta feel like, at some point, the stars align. And this kid has his coming out party, and and we kind of we thought that was the bowl game against Florida State. But because of injury, he's not been able to build on that. And I'm not going to go as far as to say that, like, if if it doesn't happen, that I'm not, I'm just going to quit. I'm not even going to ever mention running backs again because clearly I have an addiction here that I can't get away from it. But I probably am going to substantially back away. I'm not going to go full on who cares, uh, but I'm going to go um, – Maybe three fourths of the way <laughs> to who cares on uh, on that, but uh, yeah, Gavin Salchuk, hundred yards plus rushing um, on Saturday with his best game of the season, potentially best game of his career. That's prediction number three. Number four, Danny Stutzman is going to lead Oklahoma in tackles on Saturday. Now, hold up, hold up. He didn't lead the team in tackles the last time they took the field. That was on Jaron Kanick. In fact, I think Danny Stessman was third in that game in tackles. So it's not like this hasn't happened. I think it's the second time. I think the Arkansas State game to open the season, I think. There's been another game where he didn't lead the, ta- lead the team in tackles, but I think it was Arkansas State because he didn't play the entire game. But I think he he comes back to that spot. By the way, midseason uh, All American Danny Stutzman. All right, we got We can't just we can't just call him Danny Stutzman anymore. It, it broke earlier today before I record this podcast. Uh, midseason All American Danny Stutzman. Um, guys, he is in line for the Budkiss Award. The way he's playing, and he may be playing himself into the NFL early. Uh, they're going to have to do, if this season, the last half of the season continues like the first half of the season did for Danny Stutzman, you look at guys, and, and there have been guys since Brent came that are just like, yep, yeah, we're out of here, we're going to the NFL. And they didn't, like, like it wasn't time. Like, you're like, why are you going to the NFL right now when you should be? Eric Gray. Eric Gray is a good example. But, there, I mean, there this could be the guy that has earned the right to jump into the NFL early. And and it's such a it's always such a bittersweet place to be in because as a fan of the team, as a fan of the program, as a fan of the kid, you want what's best for them. 
But then you look at it and you think, man, look, look, look at the progress from year one of Brent Venables to year two of Brent Venables. What could another year do for this guy? But he's going to have to make a decision. I think he's definitely going to have to make a decision. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that you de- if you're the head coach, I don't know if you are the defensive coordinator or the linebackers coach, which, you know, Brent's kind of all three of those. I don't know if you call it a recruiting job to try to get him to come back. I think the recruiting is trying to keep people out of the portal. But if a guy's earned his right in the NFL, if he if he's earned the opportunity to go a top three draft round, you sit down and you honestly you say, hey, what else can you gain from being here? And I think he can gain more from being in Norman for another year. But I, I think we're maybe starting to look at the uh, the end of Danny Stutzman at OU based on the way he's playing right now. And, and obviously, for all the goals that this team has this season, you want that level of play to continue to be what it was, if not increase. So I got Danny Stutzman. Um, Danny Stutzman leading the team in tackles on Saturday. And here's my fifth. Uh, my fifth prediction is that... Um, that this defense is going to get two takeaways, at least two takeaways. That's been a staple. It's been a theme. It's been what they do. Gentry Williams had a fumble recovery and an interception uh, against Texas last uh, last game out. There was another interception against Texas. So that was three against the Longhorns. I, I think they get at least two against the Knights on Saturday. And you got to just got. I mean, I, again, I, I don't. I. I don't want to spend a lot of time looking out west at what's happening in Los Angeles. Other than just to sum it up by saying, sure is good to see what's happening here. Because the things that were preached by the former regime were not things that played out on the field. And in fact, we talked earlier uh, when the four things to watch, you know, whether this should be a, uh, whether it be a hangover here or not. Well, the previous regime, you kind of had to worry about a hangover. That you you worried about focus, whether this team was focused or not during that that regime. They preached turnovers. They didn't really produce a lot of turnovers, but they preached them on the defensive side of the ball. Can they make that happen? Well, now you're actually seeing it. You're you're seeing focused week in and week out, and you're seeing a defense produce turnovers. So I say they keep doing that, and there's there's more than one on Saturday. So there you go. There's my five predictions. Dylan Gabriel, 400-plus yards, uh, total yards of offense. Uh, Oklahoma's defense will allow a rushing touchdown on Saturday. Gavin Salchuk's going to hit the 100-yard barrier. Danny Stutzman's going to lead this team in tackling, and the defense is going to produce at least two turnovers. That leads us to the final score. Again, I told you about the matchup predictor. ESPN has Oklahoma with a 94.1 percent chance of winning this game the Sooners are a 19 point favorite the over under is at 66 points you know what I do here right and I did pick Oklahoma last week to, against that spread as underdogs I see keep saying last week against Texas I picked Oklahoma as underdogs with that spread and they won but I think that's the first time this season I've picked Oklahoma with the spread I'm not going to make it a second time with this game I think Oklahoma wins this game but I don't think they win by 19. 
I, I think UCF, by the way that they're able to run the ball, having Plumlee back, back uh, is going to make some things happen to where this game might, if you're a scoreboard watcher, it might appear to be close, but it's really not. I've got Oklahoma winning 36-24 to over Central Florida, 36-24, to which would put you right at 60 points, which is under that 66-point uh, total. And I want to be wrong. I've been wrong. I've never, this season, I don't believe I've picked Oklahoma to cover as a favorite. I don't think I've picked them once, and they've covered every time. So, let me be wrong again, and I'll be happy about it. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Sooner Nation podcast. You can hit us up uh, online uh, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on X, Twitter, whatever they call it these days, at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland. Uh, enjoy your weekend. It's approaching quickly. Boomer Sooner, everybody.